0: The Apostle Paul gives us some excellent counsel in verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Look at somebody and say, fight Fight. a good fight. Holding faith, look at somebody and say, keeping the faith faith. and a good conscience. conscience. Look at someone and say, the correct correct thought process, which some having put away, they stop fighting the fight, they stop keeping their faith, they stop focusing on the things of God. Concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Have made shipwreck. According to the Constance of the United Nations, there are over three million shipwrecks in the world. Wow. Over three million boats are on the floors of our ocean. Apostle Paul tells us the way to avoid shipwreck this morning is to obviously fight the good fight to keep the faith and operate in good conscience. God hates evil, loves good. We hate evil, we love good. When we find what thoughts that God thinks, in the Old Testament, he said, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, but all that changed at Calvary. And when, when Jesus died, we are renewed by our mind. We can think the thoughts of God. We can understand the ways of God. We can follow the ways of God. And the Apostle Paul is telling us, whatever you do, fight the good fight. If you watch professional or, or any kind of wrestling or any kind of boxing, one round after another, you never know from one round to the next who's going to knock the other out. Some rounds can go 20 longs, but it seems like the one that endures to the end is the one that wins. The one that paces themselves, runs the race with patience, Paces themselves, those that are consistent and faithful and stable in that will probably see heaven's reward and all that God has for us. No vessel starts out on a voyage intending to be shipwrecked. In 2 Corinthians 11 and 23, Paul said, I speak of a fool, I am more in labors, more abundant in prisons, more often in death frequent. Of the Jews, five times received I thirty stripes, say one. Thrice was I shipwrecked. A night and a day have I been in the deep. I don't know if you can grasp that concept of being in the ocean and hanging on to a piece of debris. The ocean has all kinds of things in it that can hurt you. And hanging on to that piece of wood all day long and all night long. I can't even imagine the, 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 the fear, the, the worry, the trepidation. But the Apostle Paul held on to that because God was not done with him yet. In Acts 28, probably one of the most uh, favorite scriptures here at this house is where Paul was a prisoner. He was on a ship. The sailors wanted to go to a port that had wine, women, and song. They defied all instruction. They set sail, and as they headed towards the island, a storm from nowhere came. And the Bible says that they threw everything overboard, and all hope that they would be saved was lost. That's the way you feel when you're in a shipwreck. All hope that you'd be saved was lost. But Paul said, there stood by me this night the angel of the Lord, whose I am and whose I serve and who I believe, and he has told me there will not be one life lost. My personal opinion, because Paul was on that ship, everyone else was spared. Right. No, your family may or may not receive what you have to say, but they're watching your life. That's right. And there might be people in your life that the only hope they will ever encounter is the hope that you bring them in times, good times, bad times, when they see your faithfulness and your walk with the Lord, and it turns them towards the things of God, you might still be alive today because there's someone you have not yet led to the Lord. Yes, Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Think about that opportunity God gives us to witness and to let our light shine and to let God flow through us. Paul was on that ship. The ship shipwreck. We know the story. He made it to the island, starting a fire. We know a snake bit him. We know he shook. They hand off the snake. And I'm going to tell you, if if the devil can't kill you in a storm, he'll try to kill you with the snake. I have learned that there's no good snake except a dead snake. I saw a video of someone took a seven-foot rubber rattlesnake and laid it on the side of interstate. I believe it was Interstate 40. And as they set up a camera to watch that snake, An 18-wheeler pulled over, backed up, ran over the snake, backed up, and ran over it again. That's my kind of guy. That's kind of the attitude that I have. Shipwreck couldn't kill him. The snake couldn't kill him. Why? Because God was not done with him yet. Look at your neighbor and say, God is not done with you yet. Your best days are ahead. A night and a day in the deep, just floating, just drifting, holding on to a piece of of wood or whatever it was that was floating that he was holding on to. Three times he experienced a shipwreck. Not just once, not just twice, but three times was involved in a shipwreck. Obviously, two things. Number one, a survivor. And number two, all hell was against him. But aren't you glad that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? Because if God be for you, then who could possibly be against you? Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things come, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, amen, amen, and amen. There are three things that bring storms. There are three things that causes a shipwreck or attempts to put us in shipwreck. And I know Shaley's taking notes, so I'll share those three things. Number one, one thing that causes shipwreck is storms. Number two, that causes shipwrecks is war. And number three, what causes shipwrecks is wrong voices. Storms, wars, and wrong voices. We know the story we just shared about Paul and a storm in Acts 28. Jesus told the disciples, we need to get to the other side. When they got in the boat, got out away from the coast, the shore, a storm from hell came. Disciples were afraid that they were going to lose their life. They woke Jesus up. Jesus commented on their lack of faith. And then he spoke to the storm and said, peace be still. Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus is in your boat? Aren't you glad that he has the ability to rebuke the storm and any other area of your life the enemy can come against? Jesus is in your life. He was in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was in the lion's den with Daniel. He was Gideon's fleece. He was Samson's jawbone. He was David's sling. He was Moses' rod. He was Joshua's son standing still. He was John's revelation. He was Paul's handkerchief. He was Peter's shadow. He was Hannah's prayer. He was Stephen's stoning. He was Mary's womb. He was Nehemiah's wall. And he is in this house today. In him we've move and breathe and have our being. Oh, you're clapping better than I'm preaching, but I'll work on that. (laughs) Storm, one of the greatest, most notorious storms of all time happened in 1538. 132 ships of the Spanish Armada was sailing around Ireland to declare war on Britain. When they got to the coast of Ireland, there was a horrible storm. Every single ship was lost. Over 5,000 sailor warriors perished. The 32-gun ship called the La Juliana, in 1985, they discovered it, they relocated it, they pulled up artifacts from it, and from that boat they could tell that the storm had pushed the ship into a rock quarry and ripped the bottom out of the ship, and every single sailor died. When I think today of some of the storms that you and I encounter sometimes on a daily basis, I think about the storms of health issues. Right. I think about the storms of job conflicts. Yeah. I think about the storms of marital challenges. The storms of peer pressure. The storms of raising children, the storms of raising husbands, vehicle issues, hello? All those areas of life can cause some serious storms. But I'm here to tell you this morning, I know the master of the winds, I know the maker of the sea, and he is in your storm. He's right in the middle of your storm, ready to prove himself faithful, ready to respond to your call, ready to move to your knee, because that's the way that God rolls. Yes. Amen. We think about the storm that has attacked our world. I made a statement several week, weeks ago, and, and it, it caused some comment. I didn't say it to make comment. I just felt like I I felt like the Lord told me that the COVID was of the devil and it was to introduce the mark of the beast. And I don't know how anybody got offended by that, especially now, almost a year later, we see exactly it was created by the devil and it was intended to destroy this world. Here's the tragedy. Thousands, not hundreds, thousands of people will never go back to church thousands. Why get up and come to church and sit home in your pajamas and drink coffee and watch Christian television? Let me be very, very clear. I am 100% in support of Christian television. We have lifelong friends that have touched the world. Daystar has touched the world. And so we honor that. But nothing should ever take place of the assembling of ourselves together. And this pandemic is of the devil. It is introducing, the Bible says, in the last days there will be famines. Did you know that one out of every three people in the world go to bed hungry? One out of three. It said that there would be earthquakes. Do you know that we've had more earthquakes, Melissa, in the last ten years than we've had in a hundred years. This pestilence, this COVID, is directly a part of the prophecies of the last day to get the world ready for the second coming of Christ. Let me again be perfectly clear. I have washed my hands more times in the past three months than I have in my entire life. I have five masks. I hate them all. But if I'm required to wear them, wear them I submit to that. But when you can go to Walmart and be okay and not come to church and be okay, you really need to rethink your priorities. Amen. And I, I believe, again, I believe this pandemic is of the devil. I believe its roots are of the devil. And we curse those roots and we declare healing and we declare favor and blessing. But let me say this as, as, as honest as I know how. You wear every mask you want. You wash your hands. As, that's, what, that's wisdom. That's safety. But having done all, The Bible says we stand in faith that God's going to watch over us, protect us, and provide provision for us. And we believe that. And that was a little touchy, but I got out of the way of that, so we are all in good shape. Something else that I have noticed more this year than in my entire life, and not just in the church world, but in the world world, and that is the Scripture, 2 Chronicles 7 and 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked way, then I will hear from heaven, I will heal their land and forgive their sin. Yeah. I've, how many can relate? I have seen that scripture. I've seen that post. Facebook is overwhelmed with it. The world is overwhelmed with it. And how true. Prayer is the power that we have to touch God. And as we begin to operate in the power of prayer, God begins to operate in the power of answers. You like that? If we operate the power of prayer, if we do what we're supposed to do, then God will do what he's supposed to do because that's the way he rules. We live in a broken world. You don't have to watch satellite television uh, too long to realize there's a lot of junk going on in the world. There's a lot of perversion. There's a lot of distortion. There's a lot of things, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but there's a lot of things that are anti-Christ that are in the world that we live in right now. I don't know that the world was ever as bad as it is right now. But the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, as it was as the Sodom of Gomorrah, so shall the second coming of the Lord be. I believe we're in that window. I don't know that there are any prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. Matthew 24, verse 1 through 14, I won't quote this morning, but tells us that when you see all these things, then the end is near. And one of the signs was when the gospel was preached in all the world for witness. Satellite television has touched every nation in the world. That prophecy has been fulfilled. I do not know if there's going to be a great revival. I don't know if there's going to be a great restoration. I would like to see the church a little more healthier than it is. Hello? I'd like to see more people excited about the things of God, moving the things of God. But he always said he wasn't coming for the whole. He was coming for the remnant. And as long as the remnant is faithful, as long as we're doing what God has called us to do, as long as we are standing where God has called us to stand, our country is blessed. Why in the world would we remove one nation under God out of of our pledge? Why in the world would we take in God we trust off our money? What in the world is wrong with society? Can't they realize that we are the apple of his eye and he daily, hourly, minute, second, nanosecond is constantly thinking about us and how he can bless us and how he can touch us and how he can be a blessing to us. How in the world could we ever forget that? Paul said in Romans 8 and 18, who, by the way, was beheaded for his testimony, I consider that the present suffering are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Whatever you're going through right now, you cannot compare it to that glory that you're going to receive when you stand before him and hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. This church has touched the homeless this week. This church has touched the prison this week. This church has touched the hungry this week. When you're involved in kingdom work and you're doing things in the kingdom, you are laying up treasures that moths cannot corrupt, thieves cannot steal, and aren't you glad that there is a home in heaven Amen. waiting for you and it's going to be furnished according to the efforts we make here on earth to better the kingdom of God. Amen. Look at somebody and say, I am a Deuteronomer, I'm a and I have come to Deuteronomize. That word Deuteronomy Deuteronomy talks about possessing the land, taking the best and use it for God's glory. And I make myself a candidate for all that God has for me. I'm not going to disqualify myself. I'm not going to discredit myself. I'm going to speak the things that are yea and amen through Christ Jesus. And I'm going to expect him to hear and return and restore what the enemy has stolen. 2 Corinthians 4 and 16. Therefore we do not lose heart though outwardly we are wasting away yet inwardly we are loving reflection renewed day by day for our what what is that oh for our light and our for our our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all that far outweighs them all so we fix our eyes on things that are seen, but we, we, fix, we fix our eyes not on things that are seen, but by the things that are unseen. For things that are seen are temporary, yet things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. Amen. I'm going to let you start writing my sermon. I promise you I'd like to never read that. And I, it's my, and I was under the anointing when I read it. I don't know what that's all about. I did put this at the bottom of that scripture. Circumstances. Are temporary. Yes, they are. God is eternal yes, he is. and God never changes. Amen. Circumstances are going to change. God is not going to change. That's right. And nothing you can do can change God's attitude towards you. That's right. We sang that song in the church of God growing up. He loves you when you're right. He loves you when you're wrong. He loves you when you're weak. He loves you when you're strong. He'll never, never change. He's every day the same. For God is God and God is love. He woke me up this morning, started me on my way, gave me a purpose, gave me a destiny, gave me a testimony, gave me a prayer, gave me a song, and said, we're going to do great things together in the name of my son, Jesus Christ. Don't get angry when you go through stuff. Don't get frustrated when you go get through stuff. God's in the boat. He's in the storm. We're going to see the conclusion of the storm. We're going to see the calm seas. We're going to see God move. And we're going to look back and understand why why there was a storm. When I reflect back over my life and some of the storms that I encountered through drugs and alcohol and divorce and financial disaster and Angel's home going and, and Mom's passing and Courtney's heart surgery, all these challenges, uh, all the ministry attacks, all the things of the past two years, I realized through all those storms, God has been faithful. God has been faithful. Wouldn't have chosen those storms, wouldn't have liked those storms, but the plans that he had for me encountered those storms But in every storm, he never dropped the ball. He never let me down. He was always there. The second reason for a shipwreck is the casualties of war. Not once, not twice, but several occasions. Pastor Ron and I have visited the island of Hawaii. And there on Oahu, we have visited the USS Arizona, December 7, 1941, the Imperial Japanese Army launched an attack against Pearl Harbor. The USS Arizona was considered the greatest battleship of all time, was devastated, flipped upside down, and in that container, upside down, over 900 soldiers' bodies are still there. Well, they're probably not there because of, of the nature and the fish and everything but it became a grave for 900 soldiers And they built a memorial you can go and you can walk out on that memorial you can look down you can see that you can see all of that pearl harbor was a horrible horrible day in the life of american history but yet pearl harbor awoke a sleeping giant America was not involved in the war. We were staying away from the war. We were trying to keep things calm in our own part of the woods. But when Pearl Harbor came, when that storm came, it created such a resilience in the, in the, in the heart of the American that we took on Japan, we took on Germany, and we won. So sometimes your storms will just wake up that line that's within you. It's like, it's like in that boxing match and, and your opponent hits you as hard as he can and it doesn't phase you very much and you look at him and say, is that all you got? I think in our storm sometimes we can say, devil, is that all you're, you've got? You, don't, you obviously don't understand my purpose. You don't understand my plan. You don't understand my destiny. You don't know what God has for me. So I'm giving you notice right now you may as well back off before you get hurt. Look at somebody and say, that sounds like good good counsel." counsel. As we are in a natural war, we're also in a spiritual war. Revelation 12 talks about a war taking place in heaven. It talks about a great dragon. Melinda, we see that dragon beginning as a snake in the garden, and through the years of time it feeds on sin and feeds on flesh. It starts out a little guard snake, and then by revelation, it's a great roaring dragon that makes war against the saints of the Most High. The Apostle Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6 and 12, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. It is a spiritual war. And every single one of us can relate to a spiritual war, where it seemed like no reason at all we're under attack. No reason at all the enemy will try to discourage us or depress us or frustrate us. It is a war. We are warriors, and we are told how to clothe ourselves for battle. We talk about the armor of the Lord, and the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10 and 4 that the weapons are of our warfare are mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds because we're not wrestling with flesh and blood, we're wrestling in the Spirit, and if you're going to wrestle in the Spirit, then your spirit man needs to be healthy. Your spirit man needs to be strong. And I found fair, five areas of life that can make you healthy, that can make you strong, that can make you whole. Michelle, are you ready? There's five of them. <laughs> there is prayer, which is probably our greatest weapon. Right. There is praise, which is in our arsenal. There is praise, which is a part... Of, there is worship, a part of our artillery. There is community, what we do on Saturdays or during the week when you go out in the community, you're the church, the community. And then there's the fellowship of believers. When we come together, we are to encourage one another, build up one another. Yes. Last Sunday, we learned we enter His gates with thanksgiving. We step into His courts with praise. We start operating in appreciation. And God, I told you last week, the... the the person who is appreciated for what they do will do even more than what's required. The person that is appreciated for what they do will do even more than they are required. We are, taught, we are told, called to take these five entities and to fight the good fight. The good fight. Look at somebody and say, you are a warrior in Christ. And you're going to win this battle. I speak conclusion to your battle. Go ahead, because I speak conclusion, but you're going to win this war and realize the benefits from it. Yes. We've been fighting for a long time. Nero, who thought he was God, could not handle a church honoring another god. So it was on his order that not just Paul and Peter were to be arrested and to put to death. In that, in that generation... Hundreds of thousands of Christians were martyred, fed to lions. Nero had a beautiful garden, and he would take Christians and put them on a stake, tie them to a post. They would saturate their clothing with oil. And then when he wanted to go out in the evening and see his garden at night, he would have his servant slaves light the Christians on fire. And their burning flesh would allow him to go into his garden. That's how evil that generation was against the church. But they endured. They didn't just survive, but the Bible says they turned the world right side up. They, they, they operated miracles in faith and power. And they created an army that day that has never yet since been defeated. In the dark ages, they tried to make everything liturgical. They tried to make everything pompous and ceremony. But aren't you glad that there's still a few believers that believe in the power of praise, the power of prayer, the power of worship. It's not about a collar. It's not about incense. It's not about stained glass windows. But it's the fact that God Almighty lives on the inside of me and he is authorized to do whatever he wants to do with me for his glory. Nazi Germany tried to destroy the church. Communist Russia, communist China tried to destroy the church. I don't know if you're aware of how scary things are right now in Afghanistan, but they're really scary. Probably worse than World War I, worse than World War II. There's no, but you know what? There's a church in Afghanistan right now that at the risk of losing their life, are singing hymns and songs and spiritual songs. They're gathering together. They're praying for one another. They're they're praying for their nation. They're praying for America. Right now they're under attack, but they're still standing faithful. And aren't you glad that God is God? And God will not be stopped. He will not be hindered. No matter what you do, there will be a church of Jesus Christ. Oh, come on. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Matthew 18 and 18, Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In, In Revelation 12 and 10, it says, They overcame the enemy by the word of their testimony and by the blood of the Lamb, and they loved not their life even unto death. I think about that just a little bit, how God has put things in your life to create a testimony. For when you go through depression, you can always declare verbally, the joy of the Lord is my strength. When you go through sorrow, you can declare there is a peace that passeth all understanding. When you go through financial challenges, you can declare the word that says, my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. When you go through worry, you can say, I know in whom I believe, and I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which he has promised. When you begin to struggle in your marriage, you can say, for this cause, God said it's not good for man to be alone, and he brought woman and man together to live in holy matrimony. Whenever you begin to go through any shipwreck in your life, you begin to remind God of past victories, of of past purposes, of past accounts that you've been involved in, and you remind him what he did yesterday he's just as capable as doing it today and he will certainly do it tomorrow he is the same yesterday today and forever the third er area of storms: what causes storms is wrong voices I conclude with this probably the most famous shipwreck of all time would be the Titanic April 10th nineteen. it was three football fields long. It was one football field high. There were nine different floors. It had a maximum occupancy of 2,228. There were 2,224 tourists on board. When it hit the iceberg, it sank in less than four hours. 1,517 people lost their life that day. When they built the Titanic, they said, it's unsinkable. It's unstoppable. The architect that designed the Titanic died that day. There were several reasons for the calamity. Reason number one, they only had enough lifeboats for a thousand people. There were over 3,000 people on board with the help. The rope that went down into the water to to put the thermometer to determine the temperature of the water, the quarter was 100 foot short and it never made it. They were going way too fast. They were at full speed in iceberg territory. Several reasons for it, it took place, probably the greatest tragedy on sea, not in a time of war. There was another ship, a citrus ship, that was a little bigger than the Titanic, and it was turned into a hospital before it sank. Wrong voices. I wrote here, the power of counsel The power of books, the power of prayer, the power of trust. We've asked this congregation for years to hang around people that celebrate you, not those that tolerate you. Get around people that love the things of God. Learn from them, glean from them, question them, watch them, pattern them. Get healthy people in your life saying healthy things. Allow them to bless you and encourage you. Allow you to grow. Whatever tool God has given, whatever tool the church has, take advantage of that. Know what the word of God says and make sure you stay humble. You can't tell anybody you're humble because then you're not humble. You can't tell anybody that you operate humility because then you're not operating in humility. They said the Titanic could not be sunk. The enemy will tell you all kinds of things that God can't do. He's a liar. Proverbs 16 and 18, most of you know that thought. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Important to learn humility. I think the best way we learn humility is to wash the feet of others as we would desire for them to wash our feet. That means absolutely nothing to this congregation. But in that generation, they didn't wear socks, they wore sandals, and there were no paved roads, they walked in dust and dirt and muck and mire and mud. And when they got to the house that they were going to visit, the host would take a pan of water and a towel, and he would wash their weary feet. he bathed bathe and wash the mud and the muck. And then he would anoint them with oil, and he would massage them. And that's what a perfect host did. And reminded the story of the woman with the alabaster box i got to tell you something funny. I don't know if Chris caught that yesterday or not, but I was having a moment in the sound booth by myself. I was having a moment. And when she said, you weren't there when he found me, I mean, something on the inside of me just exploded. And I lifted up my hand and tears. I don't know if you noticed, Chris, but tears were flooding down my face. And it was like, it was like, And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of my moment, there's a technical difficulty, and the track stops. So he did it again. So I got back in that moment. You weren't there. Let me tell you something. I can take you to a little church in Westminster, California, called the Westminster Church of God, and I can take you within inches of the place that God delivered me from cocaine. I can take it within inches of the place that God called me into the ministry full time. I can take the place where I actually preached behind that that podium. I preached a revival after God called. I am so glad that I can tell you the time. I can take the place how he did it. But, Brett, I can't tell you how he did it. What can wash away my sins? Who can figure any of that out? But aren't you glad this morning you're bought by the blood and people don't understand what you're going through when you touch God and you're a light in a dark place and you're making a difference for somebody else regardless of technical difficulties. (laughs) The horrible fires of Chicago caused a dad to put his wife and four children on a cruise liner headed to England. The boat left the shore, left the port, and halfway almost to England, there was a horrible storm, and the ship was wrecked. But About a month later, that dad got a telegraph. There was no phones in those days. Got a telegraph from his wife, And the telegraph said, saved, alone. All four of his children drowned. He immediately hired passage, got on that ship, headed to England to reconnect with his wife. He asked the captain earlier in the voyage, he said, when we get to the place where this tragedy took, took place, would you let me know? I don't know if it was morning or night, I don't know when it was, but there was a knock on his little cabin door. And the captain said, we're approaching the place where you lost your family. And Chris, he walked out there on the rail of that ship and he looked down that dark, horrible water that took the lives of his children and he said these words. When peace like a river, attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed. You're here today and you feel like, Pastor, I'm going through some storms I need some victory. I need some sunshine. Storm. I need some breakthroughs. That's what I need. I'm not going to list them, declare them. But I'm just telling you, I'm going through some storms. And I need some breakthroughs. If that's where you have you put your hand up. Sure, sure, sure. Almost all of us are, are encountering something. You didn't bring us this far to leave us. You didn't teach us to swim to let us drown. You didn't build your home in us to move away, but you're an integral part of this life, this day, this journey. You are involved. We want you more involved. We roll back the curtains and we'd see what you've done for us in the past. And we declare that our best days are ahead. You're working on our behalf. There are storms that we will not only encounter and survive, but we will prosper from. We ask you to lift the heavy load. You said we could lift the burden and place your yoke on us, for your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Build a hedge around every heart. Build a hedge around every home. Build a hedge around every relationship. Protect us. From the snares of the enemy, let us see a breakthrough in the next few days, the next few weeks. let us call it done, let us declare it done, and watch you to say it is finished in Jesus name. And they all said, Amen. Amen. "Amen, did you enjoy the words the worship today?)